morning, everybody. I am very excited to be back again. Um, I'm very thankful for this opportunity that Josh gave me. Um, before we begin, though, I just want to start with just a word of prayer. So let's just bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to meet, to gather, to be the body of Christ, uh, to learn from your word, and to just be edified. God, I just pray that today, Lord, that your spirit would be moving, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes and our ears uh, to the truth that you are speaking to us today. Lord, that we would um, just find edification in it, uh, conviction in the areas where we need to be convicted, Lord, and that we would just be built up um, through this, this sermon today, Lord, and uh, just through the worship and through the prayer and everything we do. God, we thank you for this time to meet, and we thank you for uh, just this beautiful day you've given us. And we just pray for all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing through the book of John, and we are in John 4 today. So just a little bit of context before we break it down. Um, Jesus is traveling through the region of Samaria. Um, and at this point, he stops at a well, and he has a conversation with a Samaritan woman there. Um, and just for a little bit of historical background, the whole region of Samaria was, um, in a sense, considered ceremonially unclean for the Jews because the Samaritans were not of, like, pure Jewish blood and stuff. And so um, this kind of provides a little bit of background when it comes to, like, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman and asking her for a drink. And that sets up the entire conversation that leads to Jesus dropping this, this truth bomb on her. And this is still applicable for all of us today, both believers and non-believers. And I just, I'm really excited to share from this. I've spent a lot of time in it. I myself have been really convicted, and that's always fun when you're preparing a sermon. You're like, wow, I got a lot to work on myself. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's get started. Um, we're going to start in verse 7 of John chapter 4. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, referring to the well there, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so I want to talk about this concept of living water today, this idea of what we are thirsting for. And my first question to all of us here is, what do we thirst for in life? The thing is, we all are seeking after something. We want our lives to have meaning and significance. So we, we thirst for that. We thirst for a significant life, to be able to look back and say, like, I have arrived, and I did all the right things. For many people, that is some sort of a religious pursuit in which they seek to live 
a, a good life, you know, in order to get to a good place. Um, many different religions, there are these regulations, these laws, these rules they have to follow. And if they do it all right, then they have achieved their heavenly pursuit. Others reject any sense of um, religion, and they take on more of a secular religion approach, such as humanism, where the goal is to improve and advance the human race. And you see that through many things, such as environmentalism and, um, you know, this idea of, like, globalism and other ideas like that, of really bringing the human race together. Um, Others just simply pursue an individualistic lifestyle, where it's all about just the pursuit of wealth, happiness, and possessions. Now, in and of itself, these things aren't inherently wrong. So I don't want to be like, oh my gosh, if you're like, you know, have like money, or if you have, you know, a desire for the environment like that, that's bad. But what I'm getting at here is that many times we make this our identity. We make this our pursuit in life. And the thing is, we all desperately are thirsting after something. So we orient our lives to that goal, whether that is the pursuit of heaven, of wealth, influence, significance, or just our personal pleasure. And Jesus says, he says to this woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And so my question for all of us here, are we actually satisfied through all of the toiling of life? Because the thing is, no matter what we pursue in life, we're always going to be striving and toiling for it. Life is filled with these fleeting pleasures, these fleeting moments, and the demands and the requirements of our social, our cultural, our religious, our political values only increases over time. And I, I want to kind of just give a little bit of an illustration because I love illustrations. But in a sense, this is kind of what life is like. You know, you're, you're born... And immediately, the expectations, whether it's from society or your parents or your teachers or whatever, just kind of starts to build up. So I, I brought this awesome box of, like, all of my textbooks and Angela's textbooks from college. Yes, we're nerds. We still keep our calculus books. But they're nice and big and heavy, and they are perfect for this illustration. So I think the perfect example here is to look at just our own American culture. Because the American dream, the American culture we find ourselves in many times has many different demands as we go along our life journey. And so we start off, you know, kind of growing up and eventually we start getting into school and all these values start to get piled on top of us. People start to say, well, you need to become educated. You need to really work hard at your schooling so that you can continue to build on top of that by going to college, which will then provide you with a really awesome job. So, you know, we're going along, and then we start getting these burdens put on us. So now it's like, okay, I've got my education. This is great. You know, that's cool. And then more and more things happen. Suddenly it's like, well, I mean, look at college resumes today. It's no longer good enough to get a 4.0 GPA. Well, now you got to be involved in, like, extracurricular activities. So let's, you know, pack that in here. And, oh, well, I mean, AP classes are really awesome because, I mean, just the generic, you know, educational classes aren't enough. If you really want to get into college, let's go for some AP classes. 
So we start adding in more weight. And then we're starting to kind of feel it, but we're like, that's okay. Like, you know, I'm in my teens. I got tons of life ahead of me. I'm energetic. This is great. You know, we get into college and suddenly, like, we start to hit our 20s. And we realize that, like, you know, we are going to be the next generation coming up. So we start to get into activism and other things. And we start to say, like, this is what's important. And, you know, we see this idea of just constantly getting involved in, like, different political scenes with our different ideologies or different senses of activism. Like I said, none of this stuff is bad inherently, but you can see how it all starts to pile up. So then all of a sudden people start telling you, well, it's all about the conservative way or the liberal way. And, oh, we need to care about this. And are you still working hard? Because you need to contribute to the economy. But also, let's not forget to attend some protests along the way. And we keep going. You know, and then we become you know, adults in the working force. And it's still not good enough because people start saying, well, I mean, technology's advancing, so we got to keep up with it. So you need to be constantly like taking these classes and adapting or else you're just going to get left behind in the workforce. And so we keep adding on more. I am running out of room already. And then that's not enough because now you got to start a family. And so now we're still walking through life, and people are saying, well, you got to raise kids. And if you want to raise kids the right way, you got to start setting up trust funds and retirement accounts. And you got to be thinking about all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, their mental development age starts now, so, like, you got to start getting them into all these different dance classes and sports and all these other extracurricular activities. And we just start piling more and more expectations on. And we just keep going through life. And eventually we're carrying all this stuff, and we're tired and we're striving. And at some point in our life, we say, am I even satisfied? And sometimes we get to a point where we realize we're still thirsty. We're striving, and we're working, and we're toiling, and we're holding on to all these things. And is it worth it? Because the thing is, the pursuit of just hard work or our own self-indulgence or the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom and science or the pursuit of making the human race better and making the conditions better for our future generations. Those all pile up, but the thing is, those will not satisfy us. Jesus has said that you will thirst again. Maybe in the moment you feel good about something you did, but you will thirst again because, as you can see, it's never enough. The American dream constantly requires more from us. And I don't even want to just talk about the American dream. I mean, whatever culture you find yourself in, political um, requirements are expected of you, social requirements, family requirements. There's so many requirements from us. And if we try to find our life in this, we're going to burn out. We're going to be tired. And that's why Jesus says that whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. So ultimately, we got to ask, what are we gaining from all this striving apart from Jesus? To those who are toiling under any sense of law-based religion, Let's just look at what Paul has to say. So he's addressing this specifically to the nation of Israel. They were given the Mosaic law, and so many times they tried to find their identity and how well they could conform to it. And Paul says this in Romans 3, 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. 
For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through law, through the law. And so we see this idea here that you cannot gain salvation. You cannot gain any sense of significance through a works-based religion, because no matter what happens, we will always fall short of that law. Our own very knowledge of sin comes through the law that was given to us. Now, for those who say, well, I don't follow religion. I don't need religion. Well, let's just look at those who toil under a secular mindset, a humanistic mindset, or someone who's just into their own individual pursuits. Paul says again, Romans 1, 18 through 23, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So why is all this important? You know, we're talking about, like, you know, the fact that all of us are guilty. We all face condemnation. So why is this important? Maybe you're thinking, well, I've never murdered anyone, and, or I pay my taxes and work hard. I contribute to the economy, or I attend social justice events, so I can't be that bad of a person. But let's look at that last verse again. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So, I don't know how to put this lightly, (laughs) and I don't want to come off too fire and brimstony, but we need to address this. For all who have not been following Jesus, for all who have not placed their faith in him, this is serious. There is a creator God out there who has given us life, and our response ought to be one of worship and awe. And yet we cast aside all of that for our own little gods. Now in today's day and age where we kind of don't believe in the supernatural, yeah, we don't have these little like altars and little idols on these pedestals that we worship too. But we still bow down and worship other entities in our life through our actions. For some, it's their bank account. For others, it's their kids' accomplishments. For others, it's just the American dream. For others, it's how um, woke they can be. For others, it's how much they can make and contribute to the economy. And all those things, if that's what we're living for, those are gods. And we have turned aside from the creator God to worship creation. So whether it's political ideologies or figures that we follow, whether it's our pursuit of science and research, whether it's just the whole human race and advancing it, our actions, our mindsets betray us, and it shows what our true gods are. And that arrogance alone is an offense to God, and it's worthy of our own damnation. Yes, this is a little heavy-handed right now. 
But I, we need to understand this. It's not just this, oh, well, I'm a good person, and I, I, I don't really do that bad of stuff. I've never killed anybody, or I've never done this stuff. But the fact that we worship other gods alone is offensive to God and his nature. And so that is why we need a Savior to save us. And, you know, let's go back to Romans again. Ultimately, for all people, Paul says this in Romans 3, 23 through 25. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which means atonement, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So Jesus Christ came down to earth. He is fully God, but came down to earth as fully human lived out a perfect life, fulfilling the requirements of the Mosaic law given to the nation of Israel, worshiping, glorifying God throughout his entire life. Rather than striving to live this good life, we are simply called to put our faith in Jesus' atonement for our sins. See, it's not about earning our salvation through good works and piling on more onto our shoulders. It's not about trying to follow the cultural standards. It says in the Bible, place your faith in Jesus. He has been accepted as an atonement for our sins. And it is through that belief, through that faith, that yes, this is enough. It is through that that we receive salvation. And many of us here have experienced that. But there are some here who may not have experienced that. And so I don't want to gloss over this and just say, oh, well, you know, we, we just need Jesus. No, we, this is... I want to go into depth as to why this is so important, why we need the spring of living water. Because all this, all this stuff I'm carrying will not satisfy. We will toil, we will strive, but in the end, we will fall short of God's glory. And I just, I love what Jesus has to say in these verses that all who drink the water he offers will never be thirsty again. Can you imagine living a life of never being thirsty? And I just, these verses are beautifully contrasted with Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you have been an atonement for our life. It is no longer my hard work or my observance of any sort of earthly religion. It is no longer through my pursuit of the American dream and we put these down and we surrender to God and we take on his yoke and burden, which is so much lighter than what the world has to offer. And like I said before, it's not that all this stuff inherently is wrong, but when we make it our God, when we make it our pursuit, that's the issue. That's the problem. And so we must set it down and just come to Jesus open-handed saying, God, forgive me, I am a sinner, but you have made a way for us. And so if there is anyone here who has toiled endlessly and realizes that they need Jesus, that they need his atonement for their sins, you know, if you are tired, realize there is hope today because we are told in Romans 3 that our salvation is received by faith, 
not by works, not by achievements, by faith. There is no more striving in this. And we can simply trust that Jesus' life was enough for us. In order to do that, though, we must turn away from all other ways of living. We must turn away from these burdens, these earthly burdens, these expectations and requirements. We must repent and turn away from that and turn to Jesus. As I said before, having money or a good job, caring about um, any sort of social activism or environmentalism, those aren't wrong. But those are not going to save you. It's only through Jesus. So if... I just, uh, before we continue on, I just want to stop and just, if there's anyone here who has not placed their faith in Jesus today and is feeling that tired and that striving and they just need to repent and come to him, I just want to take this time and just really urge you to drop your burdens today and turn to Jesus. And if you feel the need to come forward, please do so. Um, Other than that, I would ask that maybe some members of the prayer team can kind of sit in the back um, and you can come to them for prayer. But don't put this off. You know, I don't want to just continue through the sermon and it's just like, oh, okay, well, let's now get to the next point. Let's get to the next point. Okay, everybody have a good day. We need to understand the serious gravity of all this. this. This burden cannot save you. So turn aside from it, cast it aside, drop it, and come to Jesus, whose burden and yoke is light. And now I want to kind of get to the next point. You know, we've been talking about um, anyone who's not saved, anyone who's not a Christian. But this passage in John 4 is still applicable to us as believers. Because to all who have been redeemed by Jesus' blood, he has promised, he says in verse Uh, 14, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is this well of living water? What does it actually mean? All right, so let's take a look. He references this term again in John chapter 7. So verses 37 through 40, Jesus, um, in John 7 verses 37 through 40, on the last day and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. He said this about the Holy Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Holy Spirit, being part of the Trinity and therefore fully God, dwells within all of us as believers. If we have placed our faith in Jesus, then according to the Bible, if we follow that logic, the Holy Spirit is within us. This is the well of living water. We have that living water within us. And so my next question then, to all here who follow Jesus, to all here who place their faith in him, are you still thirsty today? Am I still thirsty today? And if so, why? Why are we thirsty Because Jesus said we'll never thirst again. And I have a few things here, based on my own experiences, based on observations. And yes, exactly, we still live for the flesh. And many times I found that I'm still striving in life because I still come back to this and I try to carry it while following Jesus. I'm like, well, I can follow Jesus, but 
let's also, you know, worry about my job and my bank account. And let's worry about all this other stuff. And I try to take it on again. You know, and I know I'm coming off really heavy-handed today. And it's not meant to, like, admonish you as children or anything. But, like, I see this in my own life. I uh, recently turned 30, and I look back at my 20s, and I see how much striving I was doing. It was, I got to get to good college. You know, I got to go to college. I got to get a good job. Like, this was, like, really ingrained in me that I got to make sure to, like, be financially set. So I got to go to college. So I went into engineering school, and then I pursued my jobs. And I was so worried about, you know, making sure to have good job security. And, like, oh, I got to make sure to, like, start following everything else. And, you know, as you get more and more into adulting, suddenly they're like, oh, you should get life insurance and all these other insurances and all these other things. And then, you know, buy a house. And, you know, you do all the steps. And for so long, my eyes were just on following what the world expected of me. So as a believer in Jesus, I was turning from the well within me and trying once again to find meaning in all of this stuff I was carrying. And I took it on upon myself. And it's frustrating because we don't need to do this. We don't need to carry these things. You know, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, the thing is, it's not that if you take this stuff on, you're no longer a Christian. You still have the Spirit within you. But the problem is, is we start to muddy up the waters in us by filling it up with other gods and idols and sins and distractions. And my question is, for myself, is how much more effective could I have been running my race if I simply just dropped this? You know, we, we carry this stuff and then we say, why am I so tired as a Christian? Why do I have no joy and no peace? It's because many times we come back after being saved, going to the cross, we then find this stuff again. We start to pick it up. We need to drop it. How much more effective can we run as members of the church body if we are not carrying extra weight? And I want to get to the root of this because it's not this idea of I'm not preaching some sort of ascetic lifestyle of do not touch, do not taste, do not enjoy anything. You can only sit in your bed and read your Bible 24-7. No, God calls us to be a part of the world. God also blesses us with things. But so many times we find our joy and satisfaction in those things and not in God. And so I want to get to the root of this problem. And for myself and for many others I've talked to, it's a misunderstanding of our identity in Christ. So let's look once again at Romans. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 6. Paul says, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. When we repent of our sinful ways, when we first come to Jesus, we are new spiritual creations, spiritually reborn. We were dead in our sins and we are now alive in Christ. That new spiritual life is no longer a slave to sin because we have been redeemed by Jesus' life. So logically, it follows, if we're no longer dead to sin, we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we should be living for God. Yet still, as new believers, we live in the flesh. 
So we're still tempted to stray and worship other things. We're tempted to stray after money or relationships or entertainment or sex or fitness or um, just some other way of living. And we may not have physical altars that we bow down to, but our actions show that we are making sacrifices to these false gods. It is these gods, it is these distractions that muddy the waters that cause us to start thirsting again. We must understand our identity as believers and say, no, my identity is not in this. I do not need this. So yes, glorify God and work with excellence in your job. Glorify God in raising your family. Glorify God in the different things you are doing, but your identity is not in those things anymore. They are of the world. Do not let that muddy the spring of water that Jesus has given to you because then you will thirst again. Then you will burn out. You will have no joy and no peace in your life. You know, and I, I get it. I get it. I I have experienced this. Like, I have spent so much time through my adulthood worrying about all these different things. And we all have different cares and worries. And that's not to say that we just throw caution to the wind. Like, yes, we still have things that we have to look after and responsibilities to look after. But we also need to not find our identity in those things. It's not about worrying about our retirement account. It's not about building this impressive college resume so we can go to college and say, look how good I am, accept me, accept me, or going to jobs with our job resume and saying, look how accomplished I am, this is who I am. That's not your identity. Yes, work with excellence, but this is not your identity, what you can put on a piece of paper to impress employers and um, college admission people. All right? It's not about the look of your house. I don't care what Chip and Joanna Gaines are preaching in their books. Okay, they will pass. Some other interior decorator will come along and tell you a complete 180 from what they said, and then you'll find yourself striving to make your house look like the next big thing. You know, and in school too, like we go to these schools and all these kids are like, oh man, I've got the latest sh basketball shoes from this NBA star. Guess what? There will be another NBA star who will come along who will have their own lineup of shoes and suddenly you're going to want that. You'll have the latest model of a really cool car, but next year it's already outdated. All these things will pass. Car models will become outdated. Shoe lineups from NBA stars will come and go. Barn doors and shiplap are going to go out of style. Unpopular opinion, I know. <laughs> Technology will advance across many industries, and it will force us to either adapt or get left behind in the workforce. All these things will pass, but not Jesus. And so we do not find our identity, we do not find our meaning and our purpose in the things of this world. Yes, we are called to be a part of this world, but we are not of this world. And so we must remember our identity. And if we do not fully understand this concept, this, this concept of being spiritually alive and reborn, we're going to be prone to just looking after other things. And another thing, too, that many times we make the mistake of, and I've done this myself, is that we start to look at other places for this, this well of living water, rather than recognizing the well is within us. And so many times we say, oh, I just, I just got to get to church. If I can just get to church, like, that'll help me refresh for the week. 
Church is a great place. We are called to be a part of the church. But the well of living water is not here physically in this building. And so many times we come to church, we think, all right, I'm just going to bring my bucket. I'm just going to fill it up. And I'm just going to hope this is enough water to get me through the week before I come back and refill my bucket. No. Yes, church will edify you. Church will speak truth into you. We are the body of Christ, and we ought to be building each other up. But the well is not here. The well is within you. And so you must be drawing from that well daily in your job, in your work time, in your resting, in everything you do, draw from that well. It's not that you have to get to here every single Sunday to fill up your bucket. The well is within us. Jesus has given us that. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we so many times forget that we, we, we so many times forget what Jesus promised us in John 4. Yeah, good question. Thank you. Um, I'm actually going to get to that in my next, um, kind of in the next couple sections. Um, just the idea of living out our spiritual gifts, what our life in the Spirit ought to look like. So we'll, we'll get to that. And so I, I, before we can even continue to understand what the Christian life is, we got to go back to what our identity is. And that comes from Romans 6, new creations in Christ. That comes from John 4, that Jesus will give us living water, that we will never thirst again. We need to understand this. And I just ask all of you, do not just let this pass by today. Do not just come in and be like, all right, I consumed church. That was a great sermon. Good job. And then have a good day, and I'm going home. Like, we need to be evaluating our lives and looking at it. What weights are we still carrying? What is God convicting us of that we need to drop? And <laughs> I have not figured this out yet still. Like, I still struggle, okay? Like, I'm learning as, I'm still learning throughout life because that's what life is, is a constant learning process. But every single day, I have to be evaluating what I'm carrying. And yes, sometimes I'm an idiot. Like, I'm like, I just dropped that burden yesterday and now I'm picking it up again. But it's a constant thing because God's grace is sufficient. So no matter how many times you keep trying to pick it back up, God's grace is there. But we must have a repentant and humble attitude and say, no, not anymore. And we drop this. And so once we realize this identity, we need to start looking at, okay, what does the rest of the Christian life look like? How does a filled life look? How does our daily life change? How does our church body change when we are filled by the Spirit and not the things of this world? Personally, it's going to vary by person. But I challenge every single one of us here that we need to be in prayer. We need to be in meditation in God's Word and seeking, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Because it might be that, yes, stay in your career or your job, but stop living for the promises of this world and start living for me and be an ambassador and be the salt and the light in your workplace. Maybe it's not so much about trying to build up this impressive retirement account so that we can retire early and live the dream. Maybe we are called to start being more generous with our money and start giving it to others in need. Maybe it's not about constantly having the latest car 
and being content with what we're currently driving. Maybe it's not about having to constantly have all these different side hustles to be bringing in extra income. And maybe God's saying, no, I want to be using that time in the church. You know, maybe it's not about having your kids in all these different sports and all these traveling leagues every day of the week and traveling every weekend and God's saying, no, I want you to raise your children in the word of the Lord and in the church, so get them to church on Sunday. And not just Sunday, but be teaching them the word every day. And maybe it's not about just finding a good spouse and then you both just like go off and work and bring in money and buy a house and have this awesome life. But maybe God is saying, no, your marriage needs to reflect how Jesus and the church are. And you need to be honoring me in those things. And it's not about just having this big house. Maybe God is, um, has blessed you with a big house, but maybe he's calling you to use it for ministry. Now, I'm not saying, like, as of right now, everybody needs to drop what they're doing and follow this template because it's going to look different for different people. Some people may be called away from their jobs into ministry. Others may be called to give up certain things. But the thing is, is that all of us, when we are in step with the Spirit, it's going to require change. It's going to require some loss and sacrifice. But it's worth it because Jesus says you will not thirst again. Exactly. We have to be obedient. We have to be listening to the Spirit and saying, Lord, if this is what you're calling me to do, I will humble myself and be obedient. And it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, I wrestle with this every single day. We're all going to wrestle, but we are the church and we can build each other up and encourage each other. We can come alongside each other. And that brings me into the next thing. It's not just personally that changes. It's our community. It's our church body that changes. You know, I think so many times it's easy, especially in the American culture, just to, like, have this church building, and we come in, and we drive through, and we consume, and we rely on the paid members of the staff, like Josh, to do all the work for us so that we can just come in and feel refreshed and encouraged and, like, thanks, Josh, good sermon. I'll see you next week. No, when we are living in the Spirit, it changes how we act as a church body as well. Because the thing is, a successful church, it's not defined by the size of our building or you know, trying to follow the same exact ministry templates as other churches. It's not about, oh, we finally hit 500 people. We have arrived. No. We need to look back at Ephesians 4. You know, we've been talking about this all year. But Ephesians 4 says, let me quick get there. (laughs) Here we go. You know, Ephesians 4 says, And he, being God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the knowledge of the Son um, Oh, wait. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So if we want to be a built-up body, we must be walking in the Spirit. We must be active members of the church congregation because we don't want to be a church that simply just gets tossed to and fro by every generational value and cultural value that comes. 
because we're never going to make any progress that way. We're just going to be over here like, okay, this is what's super important right now in our society, and so we need to like just get on with these cultural values. And then 20 years later, when a new generation comes up, we're like, okay, well, now over here, they're saying this, so we just need to follow them. No, we stand rooted in the Word of God. Our success is not defined by how many people we can bring in because, oh, we've got a really cool children's ministry, or we got some really awesome, like, concert experience up here for worship, or like, oh, that Pastor Josh guy's a really cool dude. I just, you know, love his sermon so much, and he's so hip and with it. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> you know, it's not about those things. We do not look like the rest of the world in which we follow pragmatic business models because it makes sense, and this is what draws in the crowds. We are called to be holy. We are called to be obedient. Yes, we may, through preaching the truth, draw in more people, and we may at some point have to get a larger building. I don't know. We may start building in other ministries because there is a need for those things. But we do it because God calls us to, not because it's what every other church looks like, and so therefore we want to just jump in and look like the rest of them. We must be equipped with spiritual gifts. We've talked about this before. God apportions to each one as he wills. We must be equipped with the gifts. We need evangelists to lead outreach into our neighborhoods. If we don't have evangelists, then we're just going to become really introspective. And sure, maybe we have a really strong body who's really good at knowing all biblical doctrine, building each other up, but have we reached out to the lost? You know, we need teachers to lead various ministries, whether it is a children's ministry or a youth ministry, whether it's through men's group or women's group or other different community groups. We need teachers who will lead us in the Word of God. We need mature believers to be discipling others younger in their faith. We need people to step up and serve and help. You know, we are recovering from COVID, and we're starting to get rolling, and we're starting to um, reintroduce stuff into the church, or even pursue different avenues that God's calling us to. But we need people to help. It can't all be on the pastor's shoulder because, well, he's the one that's getting paid, and all the rest of us, we're all going to work, and we're tired, and so we just want to come and just relax and consume. No, we're called to be the body of Christ. So we must be using the gifts given to us. If we're not doing that, we're denying the power of the Spirit in our body. So we need people with the gifts of helps and service, with administration, with um, teaching, with evangelism. We need all the gifts. There's even more out there, but we need all the gifts working in conjunction with each other so that we can be a body knit together by God into the head, which is Christ Jesus. And so I challenge every single one of us here, turn away from these burdens. Don't pick them up again. And if you do, repent. There is always grace, but stop looking to this stuff. This will not fill you. This, none of this stuff can fill you up. It just weighs you down, and it makes us slower in our race. Sure, we're still moving, but how much more effectively can we run if we're living fully in the Spirit, if we're going to that well of living water rather than the things of the world? And so I challenge every single one of us here, walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be in prayer. And I just encourage everyone here to just repent of anything the Spirit is convicting you of. If the Spirit is calling you to do something, be obedient to it. And let's be bond together as the body to encourage each other, 
Not just, okay, well, God's called you to do that. Good luck over there. Encourage them. Walk with them. We may need people to disciple each other because we need to mature in our faith, and so we need people to mentor. So I just want to end this today and just with the conviction, the exhortation to challenge every single one of us, myself included, what are you living for? Are you still thirsty? And if so, why are you still thirsty? Yeah. No, that's, that's an awesome question. Because, yeah, a lot of times, you know, when we have our free time, when we're by ourselves, what are we going after? Are we trying to find our rest in food, video games, TV, hobbies, more work, more sports? And like I said, I'm not saying those things are inherently wrong, but are we being fed by the Word of God? We need to be in the Bible. And that can come in various different forms. It can become, come through directly reading the Bible. It may come through um, different sermons on podcasts. There's a lot of great um, sermon resources out there on podcasts, on YouTube, that we can be fed with. It's also prayer, being in prayer constantly. Paul encourages the church in Thessalonians to pray endlessly. So in all things we do, we're in prayer. You know, it's not just, prayer's not just like sitting in bed and just like, okay, this is my five-minute prayer for the day, I'm done. It's this idea of always being in communication with God in all things that we do. And so we must be choosing activities in life that build us up and feed us. Activities that help us and satisfy and quench our thirst. And that all comes from God. Like I said, it's not wrong to take a little bit of time to, like, play a video game or watch a movie. It's not wrong to, like, go play a sport or hang out with friends. But we must realize that those things don't quench our thirst. They are things we can enjoy, but they are things we cannot live for and not be satisfied in. So I just, like I said, I encourage all of us here, do not walk away from this just saying, great sermon today. Let's be in prayer about what God is calling us to do. As we grow as a pretty young church, let's be in prayer about what God is calling us to do. So I'm just going to stop and just pray for all of us now. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this, this time to meet. We thank you that we have a church building that you've provided for us to gather together and to worship and glorify you and to learn and be um, built up and fed through your word. God, this is a challenging sermon. I myself was just so convicted through the whole process. And God, you are calling us to cast aside certain things. And Lord, I pray that we would 
just submit to you that our hearts would be softened, our eyes would be opened to what you are calling us to do, that we would no longer live for the ways of this world, Lord, but that we would live wholeheartedly for you, filled by your Spirit, because you have promised that we will never thirst again when we are, um, when we come to you, Lord. So thank you. Thank you for that gift of salvation. Thank you that it is by our faith and not by some list of accomplishments we can achieve. Lord, we just thank you and praise you. And God, help us, equip us to be the body of Christ, Lord. Equip us with the gifts of evangelism, with the gifts of disciple, um, with teaching, with the gifts of prophecy, with the gifts of service and helping and administration, with the gifts of faith, Lord, with the gifts of um, just apostleship as well, Lord. We need you. So, Lord, I pray that you would build us up and equip us. And, Lord, teach us our identity in you so that we do not go to other wells that will never fill us up. So we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dale.